Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. This week on the agenda, China-EU relations. What does 2023 have in store for trade between Beijing and Brussels? At the end of 2022, trips by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and European Council Chief Charles Michel to Beijing highlighted the importance of the relationship between China and the EU. In December, then Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi promised to repair relations with the EU, saying China and Europe are each other's partners, not rivals, and we are each other's opportunities, not threats. So what might we expect to see in 2023? Well, with me now, uh, Jörg Woodke, President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, Wang Huayao, Founder and President of the Centre for China and Globalisation, and Bernard Dewitt, Chair of the Belgian Chinese Chamber of Commerce. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. It's great to see all of you. And um, I want to start by asking each of you where you see the EU's relations with China at the moment. Jörg, let, let's start with you. Well, it's very mixed, of course. Uh, we have we had a very rough uh, three years, uh, no real uh, visits uh, by either of the VIPs. Uh, just, as you said, started again in November. Uh, business has been brilliant, uh, in particular for Chinese exporters. Uh, European exports to uh, China were good over the last two years. Of course, now COVID has been uh, slaughtering our uh, sales into China. So 2023, I guess, is going to be a comeback story. It's going to be visiting uh, dictators coming again to our capitals as well as business coming into China. So 2023 has to be better than 2020. Is that how you see it as well, Wang Haiwei? Yeah, I, I see this. Uh, I agree with you. I think that uh, 2023 will bring more uh, predictions, uh, more actually reliability and more uh, uh, growth actually for bilateral relations between China and the EU. I mean, I see that in several fronts. I mean, first of all, I think business community now finally can uh, have their agenda uh, put into practice and then all the CEOs now can come to China uh, free of uh, quarantine now and, uh, and also uh, a lot of business plan can be made and, and vice versa. There will be a lot of Chinese probably going to European countries to, to start their business and uh, we're already seeing some Chinese uh, you know, businessmen uh, grouping into uh, different countries, trying to uh, secure their purchase order or selling orders. Uh, that is already happening now. And uh, another thing I, I would see is the, the European countries always being a very good destination for China tourists. tourists. And uh, you know that before pandemic, China has 150 million outbound tourists. Uh, uh, quite a large chunk of that goes to Europe. And uh, so I, I really hope that uh, uh, you know, on both fronts, we'll, we'll lift all the uh, restrictions and we can have more uh, traffic, more student exchanges and tourism. And so I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I think that uh, given the uh, last three years of suppressed demand and, uh, and, and supply, now we would unleash a new uh, uh, momentum and a new, uh, you know, uh, high, high growth uh, for our bilateral trade and business relations. So a lifting of COVID restrictions, maybe reopening up of tourism routes, especially with that direct Athens to, to, to Shanghai flight. Now there's also a, a new Chinese foreign minister. I mean, Bernard, what do you see in terms of 2023 and that relationship between China and the EU? Well, I, I will uh, fully agree with Mr. Wurke and Mr. Wang. Um, I, I would say EU-China relations uh, 
We are an old couple. Huh? Remember, uh, first diplomatic relations established in uh, 1975, so quite a long time ago. So the, uh, we have ups and downs. Uh, the, the, uh, the first love is maybe uh, not exactly now the, the same. Um, we, we have had uh, some more difficult moments and uh, the COVID has not helped uh, with that. But uh, I would say, personally, I'm relatively optimistic. What I see is that even though there was COVID, uh, well, uh, the number of investments uh, in China, the, uh, the amount of investments uh, are still uh, impressive. Um, we see uh, also that we have had, and you had mentioned it, the visits of uh, high-level delegations to China very recently coming from, uh, from Europe. Uh, we expect uh, some new ones uh, coming. What we expect also for the business uh, people is the fact that it is now much easier to travel. That will help with new projects because the existing projects could continue and thanks to the technology like we have now with video technology. But uh, with a new project, it was quite difficult without uh, personal meetings to start with. And that's something that the um, EU's Charles Michel talked about um, when, when he met President Xi in December, talking about Europe being ready to strengthen strategic communication and coordination on the European side. So I wonder, Jörg, how you envisage that. How's it going to look and how quickly might we notice the change? Well, again, uh, we are totally different systems, uh, political systems. That does make it easier. I think uh, uh, meeting people, actually shaking hands, sitting down for lunch or dinner, it makes a heck of a difference. I think online really um, made uh, the kind of miscommunications worse. Uh, the perceptions uh, of someone else being negative are growing. So in a way, it, 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 we just have to acknowledge that we disagree on a couple of topics uh, and then try to find uh, common ground, finding uh, climate change, biodiversity, market opening, and particular, of course, 2023, our leaders really have to improve on communication, cooperation, on COVID, on traveling, this year has to be better. And again, uh, it makes a heck of a difference in order to just do this face to face. It's interesting you talk about that common ground. And Wang Kiao, yeah, I'd like to bring you in here because something else Charles Michel said was that this was a timely opportunity to engage on matters of common interest with China. What, what are those common interests? Well, I think, you know, uh, uh, first of all, I think China, European uh, EU uh, civilization, uh, great uh, uh, nations, uh, the community, and uh, 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 you know the, there's a lot of a similarity, rich culture, historical uh, heritage uh, that we shared in, in you know exchanges, uh, you know Silk Roads and and all those uh, things. But but also further, I think that uh, EU and China we don't have a, a geopolitical uh, bordering issues or. Uh, or any 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 fight or anything, <laughs> we don't have a dispute, uh, uh, for example. And then thirdly, I think we are actually very complementary in terms of uh, uh, business and uh, culture and uh, you know trade and, and exchanges and 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 people to people exchanges. So there's a lot of that. And then finally, I think EU also uh, more strategically independent. It's not uh, in a in a rivalry. Uh, 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 as as U.S. with China, for example, I mean we have differences. We have a uh, uh, you know uh, uh, challenges from time to time, but in lot in, in by and large we can still manage that. I think if we through the dialogue, uh, through the face to face meetings, like Europe mentioned, I I, I think uh, that uh, uh, you know uh, the recent, for example, uh, Chancellor Schultz meetings 
with top leaders. I mean, we have secured a vaccine of, of German vaccine to be used in China. We have Chinese leaders saying that nuclear weapon cannot be used against any nations. And, you know, those are good messages, I think, out of the face-to-face talk. I do want to talk a little bit about, about the challenges because that they are there. I mean, the EU has acknowledged that there's an acceleration of what it's called systemic rivalry with China. So, York, where, where do you see those tensions and, and what impact do they really have? Uh, clearly, uh, the paper issued, I think, uh, four years ago about China being partner, competitor and rival uh, pretty much nails it. It's, it's exactly uh, how we should look at this. The, the point there is where do, do we emphasize it? Do we emphasize partnership or do we emphasize rival? Clearly, there's a rivalry in political terms. Uh, uh, we have of different systems, and uh, we just have to acknowledge it. Uh, China doesn't want to hear it. Uh, our people overemphasize it. So I think uh, we have to see where we can actually sort of find rules and regulations to compete fair and square on third markets, for example. And then on partnership, how can we deepen it by, for example, opening up the Chinese economy more? After all, uh, European consumers create 16 million jobs uh, in China, whereas uh, China just about creates 2 million jobs uh, in Europe, and that has to change, uh, just also in the face of the dependency discussion that's going on in my own country, Germany, where if people feel we are too dependent on China, and my issue there is I want to be more interdependent with China. You talk about that interdependence, you talk about opening up. So, so Bernard, I wonder if you would chime in and agree with those things that, that Jörg was saying, because you know, the European Commission has suggested that in 2023, it's going to take closer control or look to take closer control of how companies invest abroad. Yeah, well, uh, I would agree uh, with what uh, Jörg said uh, um, previously. Uh, interdependence is very important. Uh, we we can uh, take uh, uh, protectionist measures, and there are tendencies uh, all over the world, uh, not only in Europe, but uh, uh, in the US, in the China could be also. But that will uh, we will be all losing uh, with that. Um, look at um, the uh, the challenges uh, that were mentioned: uh, climate change. Uh, common research and development within the companies, the relationship between universities. Due to COVID, we had very few exchanges of researchers and um, students. Now we can hope that uh, this year we will have more exchanges, which is very important to understand each other better. Uh, the, the, the danger are slogans. If we start with unilateral slogans, um, we are dead, I would say. That is not the, 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 the solution. Um, respect, listening to each other. Uh, we have our own values. Uh, you have uh, in China your values, yes, but they are common ground. Let's find uh, what we can uh, have together, what we can uh, build up together, that is, uh, I think, more positive, and our population, our companies, our industries will all profit from that. If we start a discussion by telling the other, well, you are the bad guy and we uh, want you to change immediately, you go nowhere. Let's start by uh, finding common grounds. Let's start by uh, developing some projects together. Um, with all uh, uh, our knowledge and uh, resources. Well, Mr Wang, let's talk a little bit more then uh, about understanding um, each other. You know, China's new ambassador to the EU, Feng Chong, said embracing multilateralism 
was in the best interest of China, the EU, and indeed the broader global community. How, how do you see that playing out? Well, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's foundation there. I think that uh, European actually has benefited greatly from multilateralism. European is a great supporter of multilateralism. And the same is true with China. I mean, China embraced uh, globalization and multilateralism, and China has benefited from that too. So so now we, we, have, we do have differences. I think is that we have to, you know, work together and, and find a way uh, to solve those differences. I mean, s- certainly we, we are a different system, not for thousands of years, uh, but, but we can really uh, set aside the differences and maximize the uh, similarities. So, so I think we, have, we do have a common interest, you know, like safeguard the multilateralism, safeguard WTO and the digital economy, we have a lot of similarity as well. And, and also uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, on the, on, on the trade, there's a lot of, uh, uh, we, we can uh, rely on each other. And, and of course, people to people exchange, that's even, even greater uh, uh, aspect uh, of our bilateral relations. So, so I, I do see that uh, we, we, don't, we don't like uh, unilateralism, <laughs> we, we, we oppose that. And, and I think that the, there's a lot of similar grants between China and the EU, if we really talk to each other, if we really, really start in this high-level dialogue, uh, fundamentally, we don't have any uh, conflict. In terms of trade, in terms uh, of doing businesses with companies, small, medium and large, Bernard, in what ways might Europe need China more than China needs Europe? Well, uh, Europe needs China in the sense that China is a, a big market. Uh, for uh, European companies. We also have a certain number of companies in Europe welcoming Chinese companies and developing uh, projects uh, together. So in that sense, uh, it is important. Don't forget that China is the second economy in the world, soon the first. Uh, We cannot ignore China. We need to have a kind of dialogue projects in common uh, with China. So for SMEs, it is also important, even though uh, some studies by think tanks show that for the moment, the European investments uh, in China uh, are more concentrated with big companies um, and who have developed and I will not mention the chemical sector in New York uh, is the best example for that. Um, But uh, there should be more effort made to help SMEs to go uh, to to China because, uh, as it has been said uh, in other areas, uh, China is not always an easy market for European companies, cultural differences, language, um, but uh, there are still uh, opportunities. And I think some some help um, by big companies, uh, for smaller companies uh, to uh, access the China market uh, could be uh, a plus. So uh, we need uh, China. China uh, is an important uh, market, even though, as Jörg said, uh, you have um, more uh, Chinese companies uh, investment um, or European companies investment in China than Chinese in Europe. Uh, But uh, the fact that uh, we are sometimes uh, 
uh, complaining um, about some uh, aspects of doing business in China. But what I see also is that most of the European companies who were there uh, several years ago are still there. So that means uh, there are, uh, the market is there, the opportunities are there, uh, and uh, business perspectives are uh, quite good. We'll take a short pause there, gentlemen, but stay with us as still to come here on the agenda. 10 years of Belt and Road as China's initiative hits a key milestone. We'll find out what opportunities that could create for Europe. Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. Welcome back to the agenda. Let's continue now with our look ahead to the developments we can expect in China-EU relations in the year to come. Still with me are Jörg Wutke, President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, Wang Huiyao, Founder and President of the Centre for China and Globalisation, and Bernard Dewitt, Chair of the Belgian Chinese Chamber of Commerce. Europe has historically been dependent on China for the supply of rare earth materials to make stuff like um, EVs and wind turbines, solar panels, things that are all seen as really important components in the shift towards greener economics. How do you, Mr Wang, see that relationship developing, considering geopolitical pressures? Well, I think certainly uh, China and the European countries can really uh, work together cooperatively and, uh, and supplementary each other. For example, we see that U.S. has put almost 1,000 companies on entity list or, or, or watchful list. China hasn't really uh, uh, done anything to the U.S. companies. I mean, let alone with European companies. I mean, also the U.S. sanctions on China, for example, decoupling on the semiconductor area, was really uh, hurting European companies too. I mean, all those semiconductor companies are, are getting so big is because they're selling the largest market in China. China is the largest buyer of semiconductor, the chips of all those companies. So if the U.S. Uh, you know, cut off their profit line, I mean, I'm sure those companies are not happy, including European companies. I don't think China will retaliate the European companies uh, for, for, for rare earths or any other uh, things because uh, China hasn't retaliated the U.S. yet. You know, China is very, very, uh, you know, lenient and very, uh, you know, really regard, still thinking, safeguarding the free trade uh, principle where U.S. has uh, the champion for that, but now the U.S. is the is violating all those free trade agreements now. So, so, so I think that uh, uh, China and the European countries are so uh, important now, are, are two pillars for safeguarding the, uh, uh, the, the free trade and, and the WTO principles and all the, all the others. Well, since, since you brought up the, the United States, I mean, where do you think the US stands in terms um, of the EU's relations with China. You know, Washington's been putting quite a bit of pressure on the EU to distance itself financially. Um, you mentioned semiconductors, uh, you know, certainly at least from China. I mean, which side do you think Europe will come down on, Bernard? We, we see that uh, US are, are taking uh, uh, strong measures for uh, export controls, uh, aiming uh, at uh, uh, companies uh, using uh, uh, U.S. technology uh, that has uh, impact, uh, especially in the field that has been said in of semiconductors, uh, artificial intelligence. But uh, the the risk is uh, that uh, for uh, EU uh, industry that uh, uh, we will have uh, uh, a higher cost. We have a certain number of EU companies that have 
to um, change uh, attitude uh, under U.S. Uh, pressure, U.S. pressure to reduce uh, reliance uh, on China uh, and uh, uh, Chinese uh, there. But what I see uh, also is that we cannot uh, go to uh, to self uh, uh, self reliance, uh, and we see also that, for instance, uh, with the semiconductors, the U.S. policy is finally pushing China to develop uh, its own uh, industry, with uh, the consequence that uh, China uh, will uh, also um, order less uh, from uh, from other uh, countries and and from the U.S. So uh, that is, uh, I think, not uh, in favor of, uh, of Europe, uh, and that is why I think also uh, U.S. Uh, EU, sorry, um, companies and EU organization institutions uh, are also uh, reluctant uh, to uh, go uh, further with um, these uh, ban on uh, uh, some uh, technologies export. Yeah, I wonder what you think. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Well, first of all, uh, Europe has to find its own interest, has to define it. Uh, we are not there in order to copy and paste what uh, the U.S. Uh, wants us to do. But, uh, the U.S., of course, is a natural ally. But uh, we have, uh, for example, kept a very open market. Huawei's market share here is still 30% in the European Union. And uh, we rely on China to be equally open in order to make that case that openness pays. Wang Qi 2023 marks the 10th anniversary of China's Belt and Road Initiative. How do you see that developing and progressing in Europe? Well, I think that uh, Belt and Road Initiative is, uh, is, is a good, uh, uh, good programme. You know, even though it was not a perfect uh, uh, when it started, I mean, gradually uh, they are improving that. And I see the, uh, the China-European uh, rail cargo has uh, increased uh, uh, you know, many, many folds and hundreds of public ties in the last number of years. And I think there's many European cities are getting the uh, uh, trains directly from China. And certainly, and uh, there's more room to, to cooperate. I mean, I particularly see that China has an agreement with Fran the French government on the third countries. I mean, that can be applied to the Belt and Road countries. And let's, let's work together. And AIB can also work with the uh, uh, European Union countries, because the, most of European Union companies are stakeholders of AIB, Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. And uh, and so, and the EU have a global gateway and China has a BI. Well, let's have B3W also join that. So so I see a huge potential for infrastructure. Where is the uh, after climate change? This is the green infrastructure that we needed uh, uh, for the global south. And uh, China and the EU should work together. And also 10th anniversary, I think Belt and Road should be more marginalized and have more uh, cooperative and more uh, input from European countries. And let's have a Belt and Road Steering Committee. I mean, let's invite all the European countries to participate and, and in many other countries. So let's, let's have an AIB model for BI. And I hope that uh, European countries can really work with China. And Chinese company can work with European too. So, so we can really put our efforts together for the global south for the pandemic, for the climate change, and for all the things, common challenge we are facing together. Let's, let's do that together. And Belt and Road 10th anniversary is a good occasion to strengthen our cooperation. And yet, and yet the EU global gateway equivalent has, has somewhat stalled. I mean, hasn't it, Jörg? I mean, I wonder if, if you agree with that assessment of the Belt and Road, Road initiative and where it's at now. 
Well, China has a genius about putting a label on something. A Belt and Road sticks. Uh, it is very popular. As a matter of fact, it's actually very small. When you look into the global investment stock of European business, uh, Europe clearly is number one with 11.6 billion euro. Second, by the way, is US with 6.8 and China is third with 1.9. It's not, about about 10%, but there's no label on investment from uh, European companies on anywhere. Uh, the global gateway uh, definitely was a response to Belt and Road, uh, but it's supposed to be uh, a competitor maybe in some areas. But again, the underlying business is very much in favor of private activities, which is not under this label. And if you look into European engagement, on an uh, official uh, development assistance uh, grants, for example, uh, Europe stands for 43% of global grants. So uh, uh, Europe is a big player in all of that. Uh, I agree uh, with uh, uh, Henry Wang that we should coordinate a couple of times better, but at the same time, uh, data show in the direction Europe is actually outclassing anybody else in international business and investment. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to all of you. I hope it is a prosperous 2023. Thank you very much, Bernard Jewett, Wang Huwao and Jörg Wittek. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Coming soon on the agenda, the future of food, how technology is helping us feed the planet. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.